We've heard the protest of those who wish to be free to pursue their own sins without any censorship on our part. They don't know many verses in the Bible, but they do seem to know one. Judge not lest you be judged. And if you're like me, you have to restrain an eye roll when such biblical wisdom trips off their tongues. But God may be speaking to us through them. Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism, the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'd like you to learn more about the ministry that we're taking around the world by going to traincpe.org. And to learn about our radio ministry and our fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 sets a warning down that we the Christian and believer in the gospel of Jesus do well to hear and guard ourselves against. It is a warning against the pattern of the flesh to justify and promote our own superiority by noting the inferior behavior of others. Such an attitude does not rise from the gospel and it does not help us spread it to others. Well, these opening words to Romans chapter 2 come after you read the concluding words of Romans chapter 1. And there, Paul presents us with sin, what is to us at least sin in its most obvious expressions, in its most blatant forms. And as we read through Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32, and as we see the accumulation of the litany of the expressions of sin that rise from those who reject God and suppress the truth of God and give themselves over to idolatry and paganism, as we read them, they begin to pile up. We sense a sense of repulsion at what we're reading. There is built within us a sense of inward indignation, which is appropriate. But then... Paul, after having identified, you might say, those places where we see the most blatant expressions of sin in our society, and Paul there is actually describing the sin as it was rampant through the Roman society of the people that he is writing to in Rome. Then after doing all that, Paul turns and he directs his attention in chapter 2 to the moralist. Paul is using a form of communication called diatribes. This was common with the Greeks of his day, in which they imagined a person who was providing a protest to the arguments that they were making, and so they engaged their protest and they addressed them, and so Paul imagines an individual who is speaking up to what he's heard. Amen, Paul, what you're saying is true. These people are terrible people and deserve the judgment of God, and Paul then turns to this individual, and he addresses him directly. He's the moralist. So Romans chapter 2 introduces us to the moralist. The moralist, by his own judgment, recognizes sin and he recognizes it's just punishment. But then he sets out on a path to escape that punishment through his own morality. He sees the sin of the world all around him and he thinks himself the better of it. And that somehow he can work his way out of it. And this is the problem with moralism. It's a false means of salvation. Recognizing sin. Identifying sin in others. Feeling a sense of indignance at the immorality of the world in which you live in. Does not work in excusing the sin in your own life. It will only reveal that you know enough of the standards of right and wrong. That you know enough of the standard of God's perfect righteousness to be completely accountable for your own actions and behavior. Moralism does not save us. It only shows that we are accountable before God's judgment 
and that we're without excuse, and that's somewhat of what we spoke about last week. We are condemned by our judgments of others because our judgments reveal that we know what is right and we know what is wrong, and yet if we look closely, we'll discover we do the same things. We're guilty of the same sins to some degree, and not only this, but our ability to recognize the sin, and this is where we go wrong, our ability to recognize sin is not usually an expression of our own righteousness. Often people recognize and see the sins of others and they also think not only is it an expression of their own righteousness, but they think it's an expression of their own self-righteousness. They feel as though they're gaining some level of self-righteousness over others because they can identify what they're doing that is wrong and that's not how it works. In fact, being able to identify the sin in others is not simply an expression of your own righteousness. More likely, it's an expression of your self-righteousness. It's also not an expression that you're necessarily, that you're walking close to God, that you're in his presence or that you're obeying him. It's not a sign necessarily when you recognize the wrong in the world around you and the sin in the world around you that you're seeing it from the vantage point of being in the presence and walking in the presence of God and knowing God's will. In fact, actually, this is what we learned at Oftentimes, we tend to make our judgments about what is right and what's wrong, and we tend to make our judgments of what is not righteous that we see in fellow sinners. We can make those judgments. We can hone in on those sins because there's something akin to it in our own natures. We're able to point to sin in others because we have sin in ourselves. It's almost like we have an affinity to recognize it. Even if we don't like it, even if we disapprove of it, we're drawn to it and we're able to point it out because it, it resonates with something that's in our own line. It runs close to things that we ourselves are engaged in at some level. We're not righteous. We're sinful, and so it's not right for us to be judging. I think the idea here is that God is right now taking judgment on our lives. The Greek word for judgment actually is the word of sorting out all the details to know the exact truth of everything. And God is even now sorting out all the truth and he knows the truth of everything. And so we're before the judge and we're before his judgment. And it's not appropriate when you're before the judgment of God to turn your head to judge others and to make your judgments on others. No, our ability to judge others is usually a reflection of the fact that we share an affinity with those who are sinning like us in some manner. Maybe it's more egregious than what we think we do, but it still demonstrates that we have an affinity in that way. The second thing is this. As sinners, we usually follow a pattern of making judgments of the wrong that others do in order to justify ourselves. We, we can't really consider ourselves to be that bad when you think about how bad other people are. And it's kind of a default mode that people go into, self-justifying sinners go into, to make themselves feel better about themselves is to point out how bad everybody else is. The next thought here that I just want to develop real quickly, and we've talked about these things last week, is that it doesn't mean that we can't come to conclusions of what is right and wrong. And it doesn't mean that we can't come to conclusions of what is right and wrong as we walk in the presence of God. As we walk in the light of God's presence, there becomes an apparent awareness of the sin that's around us but it starts with an awareness of the sin that's within us. When you are approaching and beginning to see sin and identifying sin because you're walking in the presence of God, the first sins that you see are not someone else's. They're your own. 
You're aware of your own failure or your own sin and what's wrong with you. This is different than when you're moralizing. When you're moralizing and you're building your ethical system in order to prove yourself and prove that you're a good person and you recognize sin, it's usually not your own sins that you see first, but the sins of others. And then you try to distance yourself from them by honing a better and improving your own actions and the way you behave so that you don't be like them. And that's the moralizing approach. Totally different than the way in which we will see and understand sin when we're walking in the presence of God. And when we're walking in the presence of God and we see our sins, the next result is, when we do that is, when you're moralizing, what happens is you distance yourself from people because you're looking for a position of moral superiority. But when you're looking at it from the framework and from the perspective of being and drawing near to God himself, then what happens is you don't distance yourself from people, but you draw near to Jesus. You want him to wash you and you want him to cleanse you and you want to be clean before him. And so you avail yourself of the blood that he shed for your life to wash you and cleanse you from your sins. And then also, you don't remove yourself from people, but as a result of experiencing that cleansing, you turn to those who need that cleansing themselves and you pray and you intercede for them, longing that they might know that same cleansing power that you've experienced yourself. This is something totally different than seeing sin from a moralizing perspective. This is recognizing and seeing sin from the perspective of walking in God's light. John talks about this phenomenon in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, John says this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Oh, it appears that we're drawn closer to one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Here we are walking with God. In his light, and as we do, he reveals to us our own sinfulness. Then we seek the cleansing for that sin that comes through Christ alone and through his shed blood for our sins alone. And as a result of this, we are not driven away from people, but we're drawn to people who have experienced the same thing. We're drawn to those who know the fellowship of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ washing us from our sins. And not only that, we find through Christ a compelling within us to be drawn out to a world of men and women who need to know that same cleansing as well. It doesn't separate us from the world. It doesn't separate us from one another. When we walk in the light of God's presence, when we see sin and we see it first in our own lives, and then if we see it in the world around us and those individuals around us, it doesn't draw us away from them. It draws us towards them. Longing to see them made right and see them made clean. But if your judgments are to establish yourself in righteousness, you'll find that you're more and more removed from those that you're judging as you carry out your moralistic behavior. This is a good guide for us, by the way. If you're to assess your life to see whether your awareness of sin is an expression of a spirit of moralizing, an experience of kind of self-justifying yourself, you'll identify it this way. Is our assessment of sin in our world pressing us more and more into the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins? Is our assessment of the decay in our society filling us with a sense of moral superiority or a sense of the superiority of our Savior Jesus Christ, who we long the world to know? Is our assessment driving us away from those who are stained with sin and sin is running down their lives? Or is our assessment of sin drawing us nearer to them, wanting to see them cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ as we ourselves recognize our need to be cleansed? Yesterday I spoke to a dear man, I might refer to him a little bit later in the message, who's been 
a great benefit in my life, a godly man, and his first comment to me is, as I get older and walk in my faith, I discover how much more and more I need a Savior. I so need a Savior. What is he saying? I know my own proclivities. I know the sinfulness of my heart. As I draw near to God, I don't gain a sense of moral superiority over others. I see my need, my need of a Savior to wash me and cleanse me. We do not want to be Christian moralist. We want to be Christian evangelist, bringing to a decaying and dying world the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who alone can make the foulest, most defiled clean. That's the way we want to approach the world. Last week, I wanted you to see the residue of this smug self-righteousness as it often rests upon those who have believed in Jesus Christ. It's possible to have come to Christ and receive Him as our Savior and believed in Him, but there's still an impulse of our flesh that constantly is seeking to justify itself and exalt itself, and it insinuates itself in the attitudes that we have towards one another and towards the world in which we live, and it promotes a sense of self-righteousness, and it distances us from one another and the very world that we're called to reach. It's wrong, and God's judgment is against it, and we need to see it in ourselves. And so, as we looked at the passage, I think I tried to turn it towards ourselves. I said, now listen, be careful what we're reading here. Be careful what you say amen to, because... Paul is setting a trap for us. He's revealing a sin that so often rises in our own life, so common to us. But having said that, what I really want you to see in this text is that Paul is an actuality in his mind. He's addressing the unbelieving moralist of his day and age. They existed at that time as well. There were those men of high standing in the Roman world who shook their head and spoke against the immorality of the age in which they lived. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.